Welcome to a new episode of Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Targa. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Today, we're going to mix things up a little bit. You'll recognize a familiar voice, someone who has been on the program before, and that would be Sean Kelly of the band Fragile Tomorrow, who just recently delivered an excellent new full-length called It's Better That Way, released on M-Press Records. Today's conversation will focus on an as-yet-untitled book written by Sean about an acclaimed and I think criminally overlooked American rock and roll band known as Continental Drifters, consisting of guitarist and vocalist Vicki Peterson from the Bangles and Psycho Sisters, bassist Mark Walton from the Dream Syndicate, Susan Calsill of the Calsills and also Psycho Sisters, and Peter Holsapple from the DBs. With Sean, I am delighted to be speaking to both Vicki and Mark from the band in studio, as it were. So, uh, Vicki and Mark, uh, many thanks for being here. How are you both doing? You're doing great. Uh, I'm doing great too. <laughs> across the country. Terrific. So uh, yeah, many thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to discussing the origins of the band with you guys and uh, the music and anything that uh, could be on the horizon. So um, I guess straight away, and this is no pun intended, how did you land on the band name Continental Drifters? <laughs> Well, Mark, you take that. <laughs> I'll try. Um, the, uh, uh, our drummer, uh, Carlo Nucio, uh, our original drummer, Carlo Nucio, was from New Orleans, and he had been playing with a band called the Continental Drifters that broke up and, and evolved into another band called the Subdudes, which was a fantastic band. Fantastic band. Uh, but, yeah. you know, we were sitting around playing, and, you know, we are trying to figure out what to do, and, um, you know, we were just sitting around just writing songs playing songs and then we were just saying this sounds so good let's go play a show so we booked one show at the uh club lingerie in hollywood uh at the end of uh 1991 and um we needed a name we couldn't think of a name so carlos said well you know this let's just call it continental drifters i was in a band they don't exist anymore so let's just call it that so that's really the basis of the, the name. It could be a little more exciting than that. <laughs> <laughs> I love these uh, these name origin stories that was just like, we'll just do this for now. That, yeah, for now. Yeah. Same, name, thing, yeah. <laughs> same thing happened with the Psycho Sisters, just for this one show. <laughs> and and, and well, I'll just jump in and when say... I, when, when Vicky was at my studio one year uh, seeing mm-hmm. the Cowsills rehearsing, mm-hmm. I, I happened to see them and I was like, listen, you know, we have this great new band and we're playing at this club uh, called Raji's every Tuesday night. Uh, you should come see us. You know, we have people that sit in with us and you guys would be great. Let's, you know, we're just encouraging people to come down. And Vicky's like, well, what's the name? And I was like sort of sheepish. And I, you know, it's like, ah, I guess it's called the Continental Drifters. And she laughed at <laughs> right. me. She goes, that's a great name. No, that's a great name. What's wrong with you? Is it? Is it really? Okay. I guess it's a keeper. Yeah. It's a keeper. 
I'll just jump awesome. in and say this is all factually correct so far. As the fact checker, I am <laughs> thank you, Sean. Yeah. I'm just doing my doing my doing your job diligence you're, here. You're, yeah, you're, you're connecting the dots to make sure we're on. on yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, would, uh, I got to ask you this: When Sean approached you about writing an autobiography about continental drifters, what were your immediate thoughts? Were you a little excited, a little concerned? What um, <laughs> how, how did how did that go down? Be honest. It's the first time I'm hearing this, so be honest. <laughs> probably I'll let should, Vicky start but, with that. Okay. One. We we probably should have been concerned, but um, <laughs> I yeah. was actually excited. I think I was at the airport. I think I was at LAX waiting for for baggage in baggage claim when when I took oh, right, the call yeah. and uh, and he started talking about it. And, and originally, Sean was presenting the idea of doing this as an audiobook, which I still think is a great. Um, way to approach it. it. Will, I'm hoping it will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's still going to be a component to this project. Um, well, wait, are we going to get actors to part? You know, play our, our ourselves. Like no, a we're going to get SAG-AFTRA <laughs> and we're doing it ourselves, and we're going to get yeah, paid exactly. lots of money. Oh, to have good you idea. All. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> going to run it through the union. Um, yep. <laughs> So it, it has t- then there was a, a lag of time where, where we didn't hear much uh, progress on it. And then he kind of rebounded back. And it's been really um, a concerted effort, especially on, on Sean's part. He's been working his tiny little butt off uh, making this happen and, and yeah. speaking to many of us on a weekly basis, um, having just you know scheduled interviews, going um, you know chronologically or or um, story by story by story to to get this um, in place and and he's writing a beautiful book so far I'm thrilled that it's happening actually because I agree the Continental Drifters criminally underappreciated and I can say that because I'm a fan <laughs> I'm a fan yeah. of every single person in this band and the only people we didn't men- we didn't mention um, Robert Bache and Russ Broussard are also in in yep. the current line of this band and um i'm i'm just a huge fan of every single person in the band yeah it's, yeah. A, it's a wonderful thing to know that you know when we started the band it was just because we were friends and and we mm-hmm. enjoyed each other and the, the, what we brought to the table and how we just made ourselves happy and we laughed we laughed and laughed we drank a lot of beer in between <laughs> laughing but um, <laughs> it was it was a really fun time in in the beginning and as it kept going in fact you know we just you know we would lose somebody and feel very sad about it but we were so happy that we had so many other people that were part of the family that we can just you know slide them in really easily and and continue on and and have the same vibe the same love and and uh, appreciation for each other yeah and I'll, I'll just say like at like writing the book i i was sort of um shocked at first that like because you know i think like Susan and Russ and Peter and I'm pretty sure Vicky probably knew as well that I had kind of a journalistic background, but I don't really think anybody else did. And so I was like, sort of at first I was like, why would anybody say yes to this? Like, do they, do they even know if I know how to write anything? Well, well Sean, nobody but, else asked us. So that's true. That's that's fair. That's so fair. you win. So I win. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, it's been it's been. I am I'm thrilled about it. Like I I it makes and the the you know Matt you said at the beginning this podcast is like it's about a an album or a song or an artist that has you know impacted your life and this the drifters unquestionably have impacted my life musically and personally and in like immeasurable ways. So like this project is that pretty much like it's, it's a true like labor of love, you know, uh, I'm not, not over here thinking I'm going to, you know, make a million dollars with it or something, but, 
it's it's not it's just about doing something that I about a band that I love and and believe in and think should have its moment like a moment that they didn't really get to have for various reasons and um yeah it's been fucking amazing it's been amazing <laughs> yeah so friends we're talking with Continental Drifters we're talking with Vicky Peterson and Mark Walton as well as Sean Kelly here on cover to cover with Matt Tarka all things uh, from the beginning of the group, which uh, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, formed at Raji's, you know, around 91, give or take. Um, What's kind of, what's kind of changed from 91 and what's, uh, what's still in place uh, when you guys get together (laughs) musically or otherwise? I think everything is still in place. I think it's just got cobwebs all over it. (laughs) (laughs) And at except the same time, our, every, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. I was just going to say, except for our, our lovely long-term uh, founder, Carlo had just passed away yeah, uh, yeah. last month. And so that, that is a sad uh, state that we we're dealing with on a daily basis. And yeah, uh, we, we do uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about him and, and make sure people don't forget him. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? Any, uh, I mean, what do I, what do I think has, has changed about the band or from there? I mean, just as a fan and as somebody writing about this band, it's like each like lineup change even, because there were numerous lineup changes, the, the ethos of the band and the, the way that the band operated and just the spirit of it, just, I don't think that ever changed at all. Right. No matter what the lineup was, there was just always something there. I think the, one of the things that was always there was Mark Walton was always right. there no matter the lineup so there's just a he's thing our original. Like, <laughs> he's the yeah. og he's the og continental director <laughs> and, and I, I like to you know sort of joke about that when we've done our last uh, uh few reunion shows with all members all 10 of us on stage <laughs> through a four-hour show or five hour i can't i think it was almost five hours at one point um I realized everybody kept coming up, playing their little song and walking off stage. And <laughs> I'm still standing there playing after, you know, hour after hour after hour. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on? I want to go sit down at the little table with flower and watch everybody else. But no, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, gratified and, uh, and so happy to be able to play with every one of those people. And it was a, an amazing journey uh, for me to be able to, you know, meet Carlo in the, in the way that I did and, and then form bands and, and play in different bands together. Uh, but then to find our little family of, of uh, continental drifters that uh, we've, uh, you know, put together over years, you know, and, and yeah. It's just incredible to me that, you know, we still love each other. You know, we see each other, you know, just saw Vicky last. That's right. Two weeks ago. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago. It was great. <laughs> With your other band. My other band, yes. <laughs> yes. I think as many things that have changed in the Continental Drifters between 91 and, and now, um, and, and that as you've enumerated are several things, including several different members, um, even musical styles, in a way, um, there's been a morphing from what could have been described as sort of swamp pop, or you know, or something that was very earthy on that level, to a band that you know absolutely is a rock and roll band, and then a very much pop band, and sometimes a country band, and sometimes a folk band, and we bring all of those elements um, now, 
and yet there's still that sense, which is what, you know, I've had from the very beginning, and I've said this a billion times, but I feel like even if the Continental Drifters do not are not in the same room for a year or more at a time, when we do get together, it's as if nothing's changed, um, no time has passed, and we will probably be in our 80s and still playing somewhere, God, God willing. Well, we did. We always said that we would uh, be playing on somebody's front porch Mm -hmm. when we're 90. (laughs) (laughs) I like the optimism. (laughs) I love it. I'd like to uh, go back to Raji's for a second. 1992. You're you're playing, recording, getting together in in a very sort of family-oriented environment in L.A., (laughs) <laughs> when <laughs> when a couple of, a, a couple of years later you moved to New Orleans just sort of a gradual evolution um musically speaking first you know just kind of what changed like what were your influences in 92 to roughly 95 to 96 how did the genres just kind of overlap did you uh, we, how we did, never how does that we, work how does the dynamic work we never like, talked about like mm-mm what we want to be or how we want to sound. We just, it was a natural ev- evolution based on the people that were in that room playing at that time. Um, so some songs are pop, but we, you know, at Raji's we played quite a few songs that were very not swamp pop, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we were playing uh, who we are and uh rain song back then, but we played them in a more swampy version of those <laughs> songs. Which, which is very interesting to hear now in retrospect. But um, they, they, you know, we still felt like anything is viable. Everything is valuable and everybody should have an opportunity to present whatever they wanted to. And we would interpret it the way it would naturally come out. Because when we rehearsed, we rehearsed at my little house up in the hill that Carlo and I were renting. And uh, we called it the batch pad because it was like the batch pad. <laughs> Full and, of bachelors. You know, a bunch of bachelors. <laughs> but So we invite everybody up and we sit around with acoustic guitars on a Monday night, run through any song that we would want to try to play the next night, which was a Tuesday at Raji's. And, and then we plug in and play it electric. So it was not ex- at all what we rehearsed the night before. It was just like a very rough blueprint of the song and off we went. And it was usually, that was exactly how we played it f- from then on after that. you agree with what, that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. I was just laughing because when you described Raji as a family environment, it was a complete, it's a dive bar beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But it was great because Only- the girls' bathroom was right off stage. Left. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So you had to literally <laughs> walk onto the stage to get to the girls' bathroom. But, um, it's true that the way the drifters started rehearsing at the batch pad, it kind of carried through our entire trajectory. We rarely, rarely had formal rehearsals where we were all plugged into instruments and, and full drum set set up. Very, I, I think you can count that on maybe one and a half hands when we've done that throughout the years. Um, and, and that probably does inform a certain style of um, a very uh, informal approach, um, a sort of a, improvisational approach on certain levels. And then the other thing that I think informed the the drifters is that, as Mark mentioned, um, from the very early days, uh, the Continental Drifters were often host a guest artist at Raji's. And that started um, pretty early on. And I think the Psycho Sisters were actually one of their early guests. And that's when they learned the songs, Who We Are, Where We Live, and the Rain Song. And Susan and I came up as guests and then stuck around singing harmonies 
And before you know it, we'd weaseled our way into the band. Um, and, uh, but, but we would we would play with people from you know uh, Victoria Williams, uh, Freddie Johnson, you know all kinds of people would would uh, whoever happened to be in L.A. Steve Wynn happened to be in L.A. We would learn um, a, a four or five of their songs and have them come uh, as a guest artist. And I think for me anyway, that was a huge gift and a, a great way to, to sort of up your skill set of, of learning other people's songwriting and, and playing styles. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when we started asking people to come down, like I did with Vicky and Susan, that, <laughs> one night, we, that was it. It was like, hey, just come down. You can just sing along with us or we'll play your songs, whatever you want. And sometimes we just gave them the stage and their whole band would just take our equipment and they would play, <laughs> you know, three or four songs and say thank you very much and uh, disappear. I mean, we had some really funny bands that would be on tour. They, they heard that we did that and they're like, well, our our show got canceled. Can we play tonight? We're like, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Uh, Chinese, uh, what was it? Uh, penis or something. Uh, Chinese penis? Chinese like penis. Chinese okay. penis. Wow. And, All right. Uh, some other. That's my next book. That's, that's, uh, that, that's my next book is about Chinese yeah, penis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Good luck to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. So anyways, I, I just think that th that early time sitting around, you know, at the batch pad, learning songs and, and, and then inviting friends like, you know, Amy Rigby, for instance, you mm -hmm. know, she was. A, Who I'm a, seeing tonight. In oh, New are York. you? Yeah. Oh. I will. You know, we, we, she would come down all the time and we would just want to play different songs and have fun. Uh, I, I, I just I thought it was amazing that we were the best backing band at that point. <laughs> but uh yeah i i just think it added to just the 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 creative uh input that we could put into our own songs or anyone else's songs so we played a lot of covers and i was not a guy that liked to play covers back then i just i want to be an original band i want to do this and all of a sudden next thing i know i'm playing covers almost every <laughs> night uh, and i learned to love it so Sean, uh, do you have something? Oh to no, add? I was going to say yeah. uh, about covers. Like there are a lot of songs in the Drifters canon that, um, to me, are are Drifters songs, but they're covers because they there was something about the way that you guys played a lot of that stuff that just made it was like very unique to the Drifters thing, and um, it could be you know Tyrone Davis or. <laughs> fucking uh uh Graham Parsons like and it, mm -hmm. and it would just sound like like the drifters no matter what it's it, which is like really hard to do i think and there's just something about the combination of people it doesn't matter what the song is or the material is it just something was really kind of clicked between all you guys and and you can make any song kind of sound like a drifters song the hollies neil young mm -hmm. like there's so mm -hmm. many examples of stuff that has been recorded and, and hasn't that is just like you'd kind of forget that they were covers, you know, even if you knew the song really well, Dusty Springfield, like mm -hmm. so many songs, like I, I'm going to need a list at some point for this, for this book Ooh. actually of how, of all the covers. <laughs> I don't do know that. if there's a, well, yeah, we have I, this. So, yeah, unfortunately, Peter used to carry this tin can around with every oh song God, that we ever had on that. it with Velcro on the back. Oh and my he, God. he would assemble our, our sets by pulling out all these things and sticking it to this board and we could right. move them around and we had, <laughs> we, had, we had them all in there. I think Peter probably has that I, list somewhere. He, you know, he had, just... Do you think we have a photo of that tin? Do you think he might have a picture of it? Because that would be so good for the book. Maybe. I, I don't have that, but that would be mm -mm. cool. 
He mm, just yeah. told me about that, and he said that uh, uh, he's like, I don't think I have that anymore, but I feel like it might, maybe it might be a dockside or something. Uh, so, because he said you guys My also idea. did it when when you made records too. So mm-hmm. we may have to ask Wish and Steve mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. Ask around. Be cool to get that 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 tin. Wouldn't that be great? Back. Yeah, yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> I've und- I understand from uh, from Sean that Rod Stewart's "Every Picture Tells a Story" was kind of a reference uh, record at at one point in time. Uh, we we sort of you know we're talking about some other influences, but what other kinds of you know records were considered touch points either early on or when you were recording some subsequent albums after your debut? Um, I will chime in right now and say that the Sunday Morning record was "Dusty in Memphis." And that was played at the batch pad in the morning as Mark was in the kitchen, hand whipping warm milk for cappuccinos. Thank you very much. Using wow, you hear that sound like time. Coffee's on. Yay! Song's on. I smell the coffee brewing. It's time to wake up. Yeah, time to get up. And Dusty in Memphis was playing. And to this day, that's a Sunday morning record for me. Um, that was definitely a, uh, an influence. And I would say probably there's uh, aspects of Crazy Horse, definitely um, Flying Burrito Brothers, maybe. Um, Even Emily Led Harris. Zeppelin a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. There's, there's different things from, you know, uh, when we're trying to find inspiration, you know, we'd say, no, we can't, we can't play it like that. We can't this, you know, think Led Zeppelin or think this or <laughs> think that and, and just get us out of our, our comfort zone sometimes just to get a different vibe. Uh, it was very important to, to, to be authentic to us, but at the same time, pull in something that somebody may not be feeling that it's appropriate for the song, but it, it, it does help it breathe and, and move into a new direction. And uh, uh, was every picture not specifically a, a sonic reference point for Vermilion, right? That was the specific. Yeah, well, it was. That's, yeah. I, you know, I think I suggested that at one point because I was like, you know, we were getting, it was becoming kind of folky. And I was like, well, mm. it, it needs to be acoustic, but like, like Rod Stewart, it, uh, you know, picture tells a story. And that's, that's where that came from, that reference point it's like no we got to keep it rocking but we have to have that acoustic feel to it which is a perfect album for that mm-hmm. uh, type of description it is and my and and actually mike uh may you just told me recently when i talked to him that uh that you guys listened to that on the way to dockside when you were going to make the record whatever whoever <laughs> was he was traveling with it was a a, a repeated listen really? um, I, i've never heard that i didn't know that either that's, that's what he said. You weren't in that car. <laughs> oh, I don't remember car. who went in that car. I, I I don't remember if he told me. I'll have to text him. You know, I'm gonna text him. I was him in a different him. car. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, I'll have to ask him. <laughs> yeah, we didn't bring a bus out, so we weren't all together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it feels like a really great time to uh, just segue and talk about you know maybe a handful of tracks on Vermilion, if that's cool. Which sure. In- sure. Incidentally, if you know if you care about timelines it's going to be a silver anniversary for vermilion Yikes. from your initial release on uh was it blue rose records in 98 silver silver is 25 right silver mm-hmm. 25 yeah. Yeah. yeah next year a couple years away yeah yeah, yeah it's wild and then that uh following blue rose which it received incredible reviews on rolling stone germany you were at this point in time too looking for an american label is that do i have that 
that correct? From yeah, Blue we were Rose trying to, for yeah. you know, you know, after you know, uh, Carlo and Ray and Gary were gone, and the band had you know coalesced around you know the the, the last lineup. Uh, we tried and tried to get a deal, but you know, we were having a hard time. I, you know, a lot of people just kept wondering what we were. Who's who's the focus? Is yeah. Vicky? Vicky's Who's famous. The lead the Who's the lead singer? Who? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and of course that is not what we wanted ever to be. No, we wanted never. to have a group. You know, it was all about. You know, it's like the Beatles. You know, everybody yeah. contributed. Everybody did something, and we didn't want a lead vocalist. You know, to this want- day, labels do not know how to handle it. I, I went through that with the Bengals, and it happened again with the Continental Drifters. What is wrong with having a collection of humans write and sing together? I don't know. I, yeah, it's, I guess. It's, it's shown that it's successful. I mean, yeah. you have the Beatles, you have the Hollies, you have, I mean, it's Mamas so and Papas, you know, Papas, from Fleetwood the 60s. Mac. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood yeah, Mac, you. Yeah, they so, didn't sell any records. Why, no, why, no, not why do at record all, companies no. have this, you know, short-sighted kind of view of how they can sell things? I, I don't understand it. Because to me, that that's much easier to sell. It's like, look at all the talent. Look at all this great songwriters. Look at these singers. Wow, 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 wow. But yeah, it didn't it's, happen that way. It's complicated uh, for them. I don't know why. Well, yeah, that's kind of one of the mysteries of, of the whole thing in the book as well is like, what, what you know, it, it's probably it was maybe a right place, right time thing too. It's just like, you just don't, you, you can't really control that sort of thing at some point kind of. And, but when, when it comes to labels, yeah, it was always kind of a question mark, I guess. Like, the hell, and then especially Vermilion, it's like a record like that. In my, to my mind, if I had owned a record label, I would have been the first one snatching that thing up, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of, that is kind of the one of the the question marks of the whole thing, I think. And then stylistically, also there was this. We were sort of perhaps a little ahead of the curve in a certain way because Americana as a as a marketing tool, I'll say, not so much as a, a musical style, but as a marketing category, hadn't really taken hold yet. And I remember listening to Vermilion after we'd finished it and mixed it and thinking, okay, this is going to be it. The Continental Drifters will be holding the flag of Americana and we'll be, you know, marching into the breach, you know, because we are going to be, we, we really uh, represent that, that idea and that style of acoustic yet rock, independent yet, uh, you know, accessible, beautiful vocal music. And, um, and yet, no. <laughs> it just, but it, that became more like the country, you know, rock thing again, more than anything. Right. You know, and that's not it, what we were about. No. Yeah. And that, yeah. so that's why we're like, well, now we don't even fit into the Americana one because we're not really a country band. So, or folk, or folk. yeah. <laughs> or folk. I mean, we were, you know, we were all of the above. What are you going to do? Well, you mentioned the Hollies earlier. I, that was the first, you know, thing that I picked up on with Way of the World. Mm. So, are there any particular, yeah. if the Hollies were in fact a source of inspiration, what? What Holly's track, you know, may have oh my gosh. may have played a role in, or just informing that song vocally or melody wise. Any anything? Well, we had rec- we actually recorded a Holly song for a tribute record. Um, um, can't let go. I can't let go. I can't let go. Which, ironically enough, I had <laughs> covered in my high school band. It's so funny. Wow. My pre bangs um, band, and um, it was you know the Hollies are always a favorite 
vocal sound. I mean, they're just incredible singers and, and writers. So for me, that was always, they're always one of my faves. Um, it's funny you say that way in the world. That was like, I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's so funny. It was a Psycho Sister song. No, that... Way of the World. No, we wrote it. Susan and I wrote it. That wasn't a Psycho Sister song necessarily. I think I remember writing that on the way back from, I don't know, South by Southwest or something, sitting in the van. We were, Susan and I were working on lyrics for that song. No, oh, okay. Because I remember when Su- yeah. Susan, you guys presented it to us, and I was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. let's do that." Let's. And then Susan was kind of shocked that I would even think that, that would you be liked a it. <laughs> that I liked it, or that it would be a Drifters song. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, that's why I thought you must mm. have presented it for yourselves. But um, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we did it because it's a beautiful. Me too. Song. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, was Way of the World uh, written at roughly the same time as Rain Song? I, no, my understanding Rain is Rain Song was written way earlier. Much right? earlier. That was Rain Song was actually the first song Susan Castle ever wrote. <laughs> um, as a, I think she was a thirty-year-old. Um, she just finally she called me at four in the morning. Whoops! I just pulled my ear, ear plugs out. Sorry. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Sorry. I apologize to your listeners. I'm sure <laughs> but that's that was fun. The, that was during the Raji's shows during it was. right around then, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And Susan and I were were just starting to to work together, and she called me in a panic at like four in the morning, going, "I don't know what to do. I have a song. I don't know what to do." And I was like, "Calm down, breathe. <laughs> take a dip. Uh, go get it. Do you have a tape recorder? I, I think I might have one in the garage. Okay, go get it." <laughs> um, <laughs> and so she worked on that. Um, I helped her kind of work through the bridge and some of the little aspects of that song. But she wrote ninety nine percent of that song, and and she actually presented it to Peter, and he did a demo with her. And this is before the Psycho Sisters were technically. Uh, members of the Continental Drifters. We were still like occasional guests and constant hangers on and harmony singers. But um, <laughs> so that, that song actually predates Away of the World by quite a, quite a bit of time. That's a really, really fun anyway. demo, by the way. I, I have, I, yes. I heard the demo a couple months ago, Peter sent to me. It's really mm-hmm. cool. It's very, very different. And, and there's mm-hmm. how many versions of that song have there? Uh, oh my gosh. Recorded versions now. It's probably insane. four or five now. <laughs> yeah. The Bangles yeah. did it. Uh, Hooting the Blowfish did it. Cottonelle Drifters did it. Multiple <laughs> Several times. times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more than once. <laughs> I had a question here. It's about the rain song. I was going to tie it to Watermark. Just mm. from a lyrical uh, you know, component or point of view, you mentioned Ain't Nothing Like Rain in, in Watermark, mm. which mm-hmm. we can talk about that, you know, that song in, in detail in just a second. Um is rain kind of the antagonist that, that exists in Watermark, also in Rain Song? Well, well and what, Daddy just wants it to rain. And Daddy and just daddy wants it to rain. rain. There's, yeah, yes, yeah. correct, Mark. There's quite a bit of rain in the kind of <laughs> But just, don't forget, we were most of us were living in Louisiana at that at this time, and it, it tends to uh, there tends to be a lot of water there, including water that leaves marks. Sometimes too much on, water. Sometimes yeah. too much water that leaves marks sometimes. on walls and and people's lives. Yes. Well, there's a lot of uh, just beautiful, just mandolin work. Is that is that Peter mm-hmm. or is that you, Vicky, or Mark? That's Robert, right? What's Robert? Robert, Robert well, Peter Michel. played some, I think, but I don't know. I think he played most of the uh, mandolin on record. But Peter would play sometimes live, mm-hmm. too. So, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes live he'd play. But I think on Watermark, that was Robert. Yeah. Because Peter played the guitar on that, didn't he? He, he might have played acoustic. I played electric. Right, the acoustic. Yeah. Part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful mandolin solo by Robert Mache. Oh, gosh, yes. Just, like, incredible. I think he worked on that a lot, too. He (laughs) he deserves credit. 
Yeah. He, he did said, a lot of homework. He deserves. He said he credit. worked. <laughs> he worked. Yeah, he does. He said he worked hard on that one. He worked hard on um, on Waltz with you as well. There's that mm. like beautiful, kind of beautiful solo. Yes. Oh my god. Just gorgeous. Yeah. He's Waltz with you. Under, yeah. Very underrated on the on, oh, on that instrument. He's the star. <laughs> he's a star. Yeah. Robert Mache is. <laughs> he really Absolutely. is. Incredible yeah, of course, musician. Robert Mache. Yeah. Yeah. Former absolutely. guitarist in the Steve Wynn band, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. At one yeah. point. And I, and I could I could tell you a funny story about that too. Um, you know, when tell we were one. actually <laughs> helping putting together the band to record the first album, uh the first solo album from Steve. You know, we were sitting around in, in the studio just, you know, auditioning different guitar players. <laughs> and and uh Gary Stewart, I think, is the one who suggested uh, Robert Mache. Genius. And he said, he's great. You should try him out. And so he flew back from Buffalo, New York that day. And he hadn't slept for 36 hours. And he gets to the rehearsal room. And he's playing. He's like, yeah, he's pretty good. You know? And all of a sudden, we're just playing this, this one song. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, what is that? It was just this one note. But it was just it was so meaningful. And it was so beautiful. And I turned over. And I looked at him. And he fell asleep. And he was just... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, it just it made us laugh so hard but we went that's so, if he can do that when he's sleeping yeah. you know geez okay you're hired so, hired. so that's that's when i first met robert and um uh, it was very uh, it was so <laughs> wonderful that he wanted to be a part of the continental drifters in, in the early days and then when we asked him to step up after ray and gary left uh, it was the perfect person to come in Robert was he, part of what we called Robert and Robert. It was Robert Mache and Robert Lloyd who would Lloyd. occasionally augment the drifters on stage at Raji's with with uh, accordion and and mandolin. The Robert and Ro- auxiliary continental drifter members. <laughs> Robert said. Robert said he kind of describes it as like cats to a porch, kind of like they, they kept coming back, and Mark Walton keep giving them food. Food keep coming back, and eventually it's like they're just it's just Mark's they're cat just now. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just feed them; they'll be happy to yeah. hang around until they're, right. you know, they're needed. Steve Steve told me uh, uh, the other one of the other guys that auditioned. I won't say who it is, but a very famous guitar player auditioned uh, for basically the job that went to Robert ultimately. And I was pretty blown away by that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll have to tell you, you can confirm with me, Mark, I'll tell you offline, but uh, it was a very famous guitar player. And, uh, but yeah, and I was thinking about it and I was like, I couldn't hear anybody else other than Robert and mm-hmm. Steve Windbander yeah. or in the drifters. I, I agree. Even. I know who you're talking about. And yes, I, I yeah. can confirm that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, it's great, but I, I can't picture it. No, it, it didn't, it didn't fit. I think he was trying to be like trying to fit himself into a square peg and, uh, it, it, or try to f- play the way people would think he should play, rather than just naturally. Yeah, playing. yeah. Uh, that's Robert, Robert Mache. Mache. He just, he just naturally plays. <laughs> that thing. is true. I mean, <laughs> it's just all him. Yeah. He also co-wrote, I think, Heart Home. Yes. He wrote it, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he solely wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Solely wrote it. Yeah. Another beautiful you know, he, kind of he Paul would say it for me on the side and you know, and I always like, Robert, you should play that. Let's play that song. It's like, oh no, 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 I don't want it. it was very, so and finally he went to Vicky and said, if you sing it, we can play it. <laughs> that was that was quite an honor. Actually, you sure you don't want to sing it? He's like, he's like, No, 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 I can't. I can't. I went, Okay. <laughs> but he, he could have. He should have. He absolutely could have. Yeah, he is a he's a great singer. 
He is actually. But that it, that whole that vocal is just it's one of my my favorites on the whole on the whole record. Mm, there's thank you. it's just beautiful, beautiful, and just an amazing song, mm-hmm. completely amazing song. Yeah, I, I love that lyric at the end. This heart needs a home. This home needs a heart. That's just mm-hmm. so beautiful, reflexive. You know, it's cool. Yep. So after Heart Home, there's a track called Christopher Columbus Transcontinental <laughs> Highway. Mm-hmm. Was that was that written during the uh, the Psycho Sisters era? I, I love the kind of tension and grittiness to that track. It's, it's hard to say because there there was so much overlap with the Psychos and the, and the Drifters, but um, that was definitely uh, written during my my period of time when I was commuting from Los Angeles to New Orleans, and it was quite the commute because I had not, everyone else had relocated or located to New Orleans. And I still had a house in California, was still trying to figure out what I wanted, what, what was the right place for me to be. So I was going back and forth quite a bit. So therefore the uh, I-10, which in Los Angeles, we just say the 10, um, <laughs> cause that's just that what we, how we refer to our freeway system. Um, the 10 was extremely familiar to me and I would go back and forth. So that was, that was written uh, during one of those trips East and then back West again, when um, there was a quite a apocryphal story uh, when, when I was uh, traveling along with uh, Gary Eaton coming back from one of those, from one of those uh, return trips from Louisiana. But um, I would, the chorus, is just on the 10 and, and people in Louisiana would say, what are you saying there? What does that mean? What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> no, she's like, you know, on the 10, I'm on the 10. What, 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 what are you not getting it. here? What are you not getting here? So, so, and I 10 didn't seem to sound right. So, um, so, and then, then when I realized, okay, this is actually the Christopher Columbus transcontinental highway, which it says proudly in Malibu when the 10 begins, um, it's, 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 it's traffic. Monica. In Santa Monica, yes, yeah, it's technically yeah. Santa Monica, but right, right at the, it, right at the it, tunnel. It, right, it changes every like five, ten miles. I mean, you can find a, a name for the ten across the country. It's, yeah. it's hysterical. <laughs> it is funny, but but we actually, I actually pulled up and got off the freeway and took a photo of it to uh, to be the uh, cover of a single. <laughs> so taking my life into my oh. hands, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> For art. <laughs> oh yeah, the first version of that mm-hmm. song, right? The, the, yeah. Um, uh, the, the black dog. Yeah, I right, love right, that. Right. I actually love that version. I like it because it's a little slower. It's got mm. this sort of sludge to it, you know. Sludgier. Yeah. It's nastier somehow for me. <laughs> I haven't heard it. I haven't actually heard it. So, if anybody has it, I, I have a copy of it. I probably have a copy in California. <laughs> yeah, on a 45. Oh, you California. actually had the 45? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I only have it because I gave a copy to my mother when, uh, you know, when it came out. And then um, obviously after Katrina, everything was destroyed, so I didn't have it. And when I yeah. came over to her house one day, and I, I just happened to see it sort of shoved in the back of this cabinet. Uh, <laughs> so I said, I'm taking it back, Mom. You obviously don't listen to it. So. It's okay. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let's see. In terms of uh, talking about Vermilion, after Christopher Columbus Transcontinental Highway, we have a tune called Who We Are and Where We Live. Mm. Another f- song that seems to be full of tension and eerie, eeriness, <laughs> but yet I, I felt completely reassured. Mm. You know, how, how did this song come about? Like, 
who presented it to the group? Um, well, I wrote that song in about 20 minutes, actually. And uh, it was after my fiance had passed away. I was at my house and Susan was staying with me for a while. And uh, she's the one who actually said the words, you know, when I was talking about processing grief and, and she's like, look, it's just, it's who we are. It's where we live. She left the room. I picked up a guitar and 20 minutes later I had that song. I mean, it was, it was like, it, it was one of those ones that just arrives. And I think all of the gods that make that happen when it rarely, rarely does happen, but it's, it's such a incredible feeling. Cause you do feel like you're just sort of channeling something. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a tough song in a way because it is, we are talking about losing somebody you love, but it's um, reassuring in the sense that it is about a club. Like you are a member of a club of people who have lost somebody dear to you, who, um, you know, where there was a hole blown in your life. And uh, all us drifters feel that right now because Carlo's gone. And uh, it's, and his, his widow, Carmen, is now a member of the, the club. Because, you know, it's, it's something that it changes you forever. Um, but there is some kind of comfort in the, the uh, communal experience. It's, it is a, obviously an extremely you know, humanizing experience. It's, it's part of the human condition. We, we lose people. It's what happens. So it's just um, that was just an expression of that and feeling like, okay, there's a club. I belong. Oh, look, now you belong too. And that's what that was about. And it's such a great song. Oh, thank you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. That also, that also predated the Drifters or predated you guys joining the Drifters as well, didn't it? Um, I believe it did. I'm not 100% sure about that. Because like I said, that's sort of the, the barrier is a little porous between we, right, when, right, we were, right, right, right. <laughs> when we were just like hanging out and singing. And, and when that day that Carlo, at, again, at Mark's rehearsal studio, just said to us, you know, like, oh, baby, you're in the band. You know, he was like, you know, oh, yeah, you're, you're in the band. We're like, we are. Okay. What? We are? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are. Oh, my God. All good. <laughs> Oh, good. But yeah, I just remember when I first heard that, it's like, oh, we should do that for sure. Let's, you know, when you guys came in, it's like, I think it was the first time both of you were, we were going to play your songs. Yes, I think you're right. Song. Rain mm -hmm. song and who we are. In the, who we are. In the, you're right. Yes. In the same night. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I don't True. know. I don't know if you wrote it right in that time period or if it was prior to that. It was pretty new at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mark, I think I'd like to just put you on the spot for a second and just ask about your creative process in general. How do you, how do you react to things that are presented to you? Um, yeah, just, I, I, what do you like to do? Player, yeah. As a bass player, I really, I, I, I'm reactive. I, I hear something and I want to have a conversation more than talk about, you know, hey, where's the kick drum? I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't think about it in a typical uh, bass drum reality. I, I think of it as a song and it's just a part of the conversation. So it's a natural reaction. Um, and usually when I play it the first time, that's usually what I stay with for the, for the life of the song. Mark knows this. I could talk about Mark's bass playing all day. And, uh, and I, there's something very, uh, I think Russ refers to it as kind of like a rubber band, sort of. That's kind of what your your deal is, and <laughs> it's the dive bombs. It's just the the 
there's something very unique about, and especially in the context of Drifter's music, there's something really kind of unique where I don't, you probably couldn't put very many other bass players in there and it, it just wouldn't work quite as well. And the funny thing is, I, I will just say, and I've said this before, like I grew up kind of learning, like learning to play bass. I learned to play bass with Drifter's records and REM records. Mm, and wow. I sort of <laughs> learned this stuff like, uh, like they were very, you know, well, like, like sort of like Mike Mills sits down and it's very composed bass parts. And then I remember when we opened for you guys at Carrollton Station, it was the first time I ever, obviously ever got to see you guys play. And the bass parts, you know, the, it, the, there's that f- kind of freewheeling thing that ha- happens when you're playing live where things could just kind of be different here and there. And it was the first time that I realized, like, I don't even think Mark plays the same way twice, like in, in, a, in an amazing way. And, and I was just blown away by that. And here I am, like, playing all this shit like it's, you know, been heavily composed and oh, and it's just, so. it's, <laughs> but it's so it's so much better for it, you know. Oh, and yeah. like, I love Mike Mills bass playing and stuff, and it's it's oh I do too. Me too. You know, I, I but mean, there's I, something I, I, about I, that, you know. I love I love composed pieces. You know, it's like on the new Dream Syndicate record. There's a few songs that I totally composed. I went home and I heard these songs in my head that Steve gave me these really rough things. And I was like, okay, well, no, it's got to have a specific thing. And I actually composed it and went to the studio and everybody looked at me. It's like, what are you doing? You, What's you wrong don't with do you? that. What's wrong with you? That's not fair. <laughs> you can't do that. So I ended up having to like sort of teach the band the songs, which I'm not used to like, you know, trying to like organize something on that level. But yeah, it, but, I, so, but I just, you know, occasionally I feel like I have to compose something, but uh, I, I think with the drifters, so it, it's very, it's, it should be, loose it has to have that flow it's like the river flowing it's got to yeah. have you know it's it, 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 it you can't have a specific thing that goes every time and i think you know even with the you know, lead solos and uh, drum fills so, you know everybody kind of did the same thing you know to a certain degree um and that that's what it made it interesting it is it was more sort of freeform jazz almost <laughs> in a pop folk setting you know yeah. i don't know if that's you know realistic or not but i think flow, it would be great to hear a good word flow, it'd be great yeah. to hear the drifters do it do a free jazz song like a real oh ornette coleman like <laughs> company the very idea oh my amazing. god amazing oh my god i just listened to um yesterday i was listening to the the first version of mississippi um which was recorded with with mark and carlo and ray and gary eaton um and i remember listening i was listening to the bass part i was like nobody in the world could do this other than Mark Walton. It's just, it's so (laughs) completely individually you. And for that very reason in that it's, it's doesn't sound like you're particularly paying attention to, you know, where the, the the kick was landing or anything like that. It was, it was completely Mm -hmm. liquid and yet it holds all those elements together. So beautifully. It just, nobody does that like Mark Walton. And plus your suit, so fun to watch. Do it. <laughs> That's my, <favorite>. <laughs> well, my body <laughs> determines how my yeah, fingers move. Exactly. So. <laughs> I true. I love the story that Carlo told me that um, when Mickey Steele was filling in mm-hmm. for you, Mark at, at Raji's, because um, you play the you play that song in Drop D, and so she tuned to Drop D, and apparently 
uh, played the entire set in drop D, just assuming that that's how you did it. And <laughs> that's Carlos what said it- told me. <laughs> did I tell you that? Oh my God, that's weird. Yeah. Well, oh and, and I experienced it because I, I was on tour with Carlene Carter. That's why she was filling in for me. Like I came back the day, it was a Tuesday. I, I arrived that afternoon and I didn't tell anybody I was home. So I was able to sneak in and watch Ooh. the whole show from the back of the room. Oh my and God. It, it was, it was wow. so it was exciting. That was, um, in fact, that one picture you have out front of Raji's that we're all standing there with Mickey in it. That was that. Mm-hmm. Night. Oh, yeah. great! Wow. I think Mickey enjoyed being an auxiliary drifter. <laughs> uh, I sh- well, she sounded great doing it too. Yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> I have to ask you about another song called "Anything," which closes Vermillion. Mm. What a statement of just love and devotion and just clarity of that love. What um. How, how did this song come about? Vicky, I believe this is a, a co-write with you and Peter. Is that, Correct. Is, is that and right? it's something that we did. That's the first time we did this. And we've, we've attempted it a couple of times, but this, it's only been successful that one time. And he literally sent me a cassette with a, a portion of a song on it. It had that first verse and it had the idea for a chorus. And he kind of said, I don't know what else to do with this. Just have your way with it, basically. So, so I wrote the bridge and I wrote the the next verses, and uh, and it it's so fun. It was an absolute collaboration. Um, and Peter's such a great songwriter. It was a it was a joy to do it, and it's super fun to, to sing. My yeah, husband it, and I perform it sometimes as a duet because <laughs> it's a great duet. Oh, that's really? amazing! Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I love the turn of phrase. Ask me to settle any score, to escalate a war. I'll always know what I was fighting for. That just yeah. Boy, I've, Thank you. Yeah, that, that resonates with me so it, much. It's sort yeah. of like you know, yeah, I will do. You know, like I'll do anything for you because I know that you will never ask me to do anything that is against my nature. So I feel confident saying I will do anything for you. And that's kind of where that was lying. It's beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for writing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'd like to uh, wrap up our conversation with uh, something about cover art. So we live in just this wild world so much you know so much music that is distributed nowadays is digital luckily there are still vinyl records and cassettes and cds that people are producing the one kind of prevailing thing luckily is some form of cover art um in thinking about vermilion and just what vermilion is it's kind of a red pigmentation the album cover kind of like showcases everything but something sort of like bright for lack of a better word <laughs> right. it's 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 relatively stark um how did you get the idea for the cover art and could you describe for the listeners you know perhaps who was on the cover yeah, and I, maybe where I, the photo I, was taken yeah well that, that's that's the, what it's all about really we mm-hmm. recorded at a studio out in, in southern louisiana called dockside and it was on the vermilion river and so all there those pictures are from the studio's uh grounds Okay. And the, the, actually, if you look at the cover for Vermilion, it's Susan's daughter in a swing on, mm-hmm. hanging from a tree. So it's, <laughs> not it's hanging from a tree, on the what? swing. No, she's not <laughs> hanging. <laughs> the swing is, <laughs> is <laughs> The swing is hanging oh my from God. a tree. <laughs> not the daughter. <laughs> Somebody go check. Somebody go check and see if Miranda's still there. Yeah, the, she's, the, she's, she's, I just checked with her. She's good. Okay, so, cool. So all those pictures were taken by us. Susan mm-hmm. took that cover one i took the back cover one of this rain on the back of the the studio mm-hmm. building there's a you know, it was just a very personal record uh and, and there's a on the inside there's a f- one that looks like it's all treated but it's actually 
taking a picture through this big uh, mound of uh, firewood that's mm. burning. And, um, and we're standing there, but we, we all look pixelated. So that, that, again, that's just right there on the, the Vermilion record, uh, River. And uh, we decided because it, it, it was a very uh, personal place, you know, because we lived there. You know, we, we recorded and lived there and, and, and breathed music for the two weeks that we did that record. So we, we wanted to make sure it was part of the record itself. And so the you know instead of calling it dockside, we called it vermilion. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, I was thinking too literally. <laughs> no, I think that's true. But it is it's it's true that the uh, the actual color shade of vermilion, like if you go buy uh, paint that's vermilion, it is a very rich, rich very color. Rich. Um, has a lot of depth to it. Has has some black in it, I think actually. So it's mm. um, that's that's sort of uh, you know just the richness of that that tone also. I think resonates there. Yeah. And thinking yeah. about that definition, that's, that exemplifies every single track on this album. It's <laughs> just, an, just an amazing testament oh. to the work that you do. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah thanks. That's a, it's a very, to us, you know, it's a very personal, personable record. And, mm -hmm. we, and when people understand it, like you do, <laughs> we appreciate that even more. So really quickly, what's next for uh, the Continental Drifters? We have a biography um, coming out. I don't know if you heard about it, but um, oh, yes. guy, that's, Sean that's Kelly, is writing this fantastic book. <laughs> We're very excited. <laughs> and we've uh, finally uh, heard that we are allowed to re-release our catalog. So we're hoping to have that come out next year, too. Cross our fingers. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of crossing of fingers for a lot of this stuff, I think. Yeah. But, but we will. In a good way. We will. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> like we, we said, we're keep, we, keeping we, that we promise. The world, about... you cross your fingers a lot too. So yeah, <laughs> 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 we'll, uh, we'll keep that promise yeah. about sitting on somebody's front porch in our nineties. Yeah, hopefully we'll play some shows next before week. that. <laughs> Or before that. Before our 90s. Before yeah. Oh, 90s. I said next year. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed in either case. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Vicky, Vicky Peterson, Mark Walton, Sean Kelly, thank you very much for being on the program today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for thank having you. us. Appreciate Thanks, it. Matt. All right. Thank you very much to all of you for tuning in to Cover to Cover please take a moment to hit that subscribe button from wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Stay in touch with Cover to Cover on Instagram at Cover to Cover Conversations, all lowercase, all one word. Or if you prefer email, please feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Alexandria, Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover. 